You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's a beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest, and you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and uh, it's a full moon, and it's the first day of spring, so, you know, crazy things are happening, you know. Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, was saying they already had their things happen in three at her workplace today. Uh, so I'm sure that crazy things are happening to you. But, you know, with spring, we, you know, it, speaking of crazy, three weeks ago we were talking about snowmageddon. And this last weekend, it was 70 degrees practically. So, like all, Red-blooded Americans, the first pretty weekend, I went out and exercised like crazy and and did all that crazy stuff. So I am a little bit sore and tired going into this week. So if you see me yawning on the live feed, you know why. Because I went out and rode my bike. In fact, I rode my bicycle up to the Daffodil Festival in uh, Junction City and did, you know, about 40-some miles on Saturday and Went out with some friends from Lorraine and did another 25 miles on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I felt it on Monday and Tuesday. Starting to recover a little bit now. But, uh, yep, it's springtime and the muscles are sore. And the full moon is out, so things are happening crazy around here. Uh, You know, whether it's our legislature thinking of letting 16-year-olds vote, or whether they're just going to give the uh, farm away to the unions trying to uh, uh, reverse the Supreme Court's decision on on Janice v. Asme, uh, legislatively, but they, 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 you know, things are crazy around here. Um, but outside of all that craziness, every once in a while I get to do something really fun and nice, and on on that beautiful Monday we had where we, you know, uh, came, came close to setting a record temperature. I think we set the record temperature yesterday. Um, I got to tour the Roseboro, um, mill out there in Springfield, got to meet with the, uh, CEO and several of the executives of Roseboro and, uh, you know, really great people, really great company. And, it's kind of interesting. They've gone through a transition. They were uh, basically family-owned, you know, like third or fifth generation, split up about 60 different owners with different pieces of it across the family. Um, that ownership sold out to private equity, and now they're um, held differently by a holding company. And as part of that transition, 
they sold off their forest land. So they're no longer um, producing logs uh, from the forest. They're just buying logs out of the forest. So um, they have a, have a particular interest in a steady um, flow of logs. And it was kind of interesting to be meeting with Roseboro on Monday, seeing that the, over the weekend, I heard the news that Swanson uh, closed their mill in Glendale um, because they couldn't get enough logs. You know, in the, you know, in the middle of one of the most productive forest lands on the earth, we're closing mills because we can't get logs into them, which is a whole nother long topic we can discuss on the Bose Nose Show. If you want to, just by calling us at 646-721-9887 and just press one so we know you want to get in on the conversation, not just listen to us. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation. So um, Roseboro has kind of gone through a little bit of transition, was kind of one of the reasons why we're meeting. Plus, they're looking to um, expand some of their uh, uh, capacity of the mill they own out in Vaughn, which you know probably can't find on a map. It's somewhere halfway between No Tie and Crow. <laughs> if that gives you an idea how small Vaughn is, it's a dot on a map between No Tie and Crow. Uh, but they have a mill there along Crow Vaughn Road, uh, where the Coos Bay rail line crosses over Crow Vaughn Road, basically, and uh, they they um, produce. Uh, some of their uh, uh, laminated beams there and some of their specialty beams. But the the Springfield plant that I got the tour is their major facility. About 250 of their 400 employees are there in the Springfield plant. Uh, And, and that's, you know, pretty interesting in itself, you know, thinking about Roseboro, they have 400 employees in Lane County, their average wage is, 55,600 and they have full health benefits on top of that. So, you know, some of you folks thinking about whether you want a job or not, they start people out in their mill at about $18 an hour. <laughs> They're hourly workers. Plus they have about another uh, nine, nine or $10 in benefits on top of that an hour. So pretty, Pretty well paid there. In fact, um, you know, they their annual um, payroll in uh, Lane County is um, oh, I shoot, I had that here in front of me, and now I'm um, missing it. That's their payroll taxes. Oh, I skipped that one. But they pay four million in payroll taxes a year. Um, but they're just it really important company to Lane County as far as as what they what you know what they do um you know they 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 just themselves spend about 155 million a year purchasing stuff from various Lane County companies outside of Roseboro you know for everything from copy paper to um the you know the trucking companies and logs they purchased and everything else. So major driver of the local economy, but a really interesting mill, very high tech, 
um, logs come into the mill. They get measured by lasers and sensors that that also pick up things like moisture content. So they do some initial grading just from these sensors as they're measuring the logs, uh, so they can kind of separate um, the the lumber they cut by strength because as you build a, a uh, laminated beam and, and you know, a, a glue laminated beam is basically a bunch of either two by fours or two by sixes or two by eights that are all stacked on top of each other and glued together you know they, they have um, finger jointed so they so they end up with this beam that's like 60 feet long and maybe uh, you know six inches wide by say 12 inches deep and they make sure that the bottom side of that beam has the strongest wood because that's got the highest tension in it and maybe the wood at the top of the beams kind of is a little bit weaker um, so that it's important for them to be grading wood as it goes into the mill head and they um, the, the mills you know looks at the log decides what's how to cut that to get the most you know, pieces of, of wood, that, you know, usable dimensional lumber out of it and um, sends it on down through the, uh, you know, for, first they, you know, cut off the edges to camper it um, uh, and those edge, and even those edge pieces they get um, boards out of. And then they send that camper piece through a, a saw that, that can cut um, basically four cuts down the log at the same time. And that all happens so fast. It's pretty amazing. I've got some video I took on my phone that maybe we'll post to uh, KRBN Internet Radio later. Um, that it, just watching how fast that wood moves through this, the mill portion of the plant. And, you know, basically, Roseboro sells two products. They sell basically stud lumber, you know, dimensional lumber. Um, they a lot of what they cut they use in their glue lamp beams, and in the glue lamp beams, they are the largest supplier of the uh, glue lamp beams in North America, right in Springfield. The largest supplier of glue laminated beams in North America. They hold about 45% of the market. And their next closest competitor is pretty far away, you know, only has about 10% of the market. So they're really a dominant player in that market. And these glue lamp beams are, are, you know, pretty interesting, very strong, can span, you know, pretty big distances. And they replace basically um, what we need to cut out of old growth timber. You know, these great big beams that we cut out of old growth. They're actually stronger because of that lamination that they do. So they actually can, can um, take larger loads and all that stuff. So it allows for architects and design to do some pretty amazing things with wood structures. And basically, they were doing mass timber with these glue lamb beams before the term mass timber came along which we've talked about on the both those show in the past and things like cross laminated timber and um, uh, mass plywood and other issues, but glue lamp beams are a piece of that. Uh, and so pretty amazing 
just to see the technology there and to watch how they actually build these glue lamp beams and have the machines that, that cut these uh, finger joints that, that put the boards together, and all these, you know, like eight and 10 foot, um, you know, 15 foot length boards to, to end up with a 60 foot long board. And they, they take, you know, four or five of those 60 foot boards and, and glue those together in, in this humongous press machine and um, then spit them out and you know, package them up and ship them off all over the country. Pretty amazing. 400 employees, uh, you know, they, they pay uh, about 700,000 a year in property taxes to, you know, to the county and, and City Springfield and Springfield School District and all the various taxing, taxing jurisdictions that take out of that. Um, How would you like to write a $700,000 uh, property tax check? You know? <laughs> it's pretty amazing um, what they contribute to our economy. And in general, it's pretty amazing that the wood products um, industry does for Lane County's economy. Over 8,000 people in Lane County are employed in wood products. So it's pretty, pretty impressive uh, what they do. And uh, I really enjoyed that tour. So it's one of the things that's fun piece about being a Lane County Commissioner is we get to do uh, occasionally go and talk with those folks. Uh, there was a, 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 a serious reason for me meeting with them as they're looking for help from the county in some of their uh, interactions with the rail line, maybe, and some help, maybe, um, trying to get fiber out to that rural um, plant site because uh, if they had fiber, it would be a lot easier for them to have all their computer, computer systems talk to each other. As one of the things that that um, device that measures the logs coming into uh, the the mill, it decides how big of lumber to cut stuff based also on what's needed. You know, he even checks into the computers and says, this is what you know, we need you know, based on the orders we have and everything else. So um, extremely um, computer driven manufacturing, you know, and, and part of that, you know, uh, just-in-time supply systems and all that stuff. So the need for high-speed data out to that rural plant is really important for them. And there is a role that the county may play in helping them get it out there. Of course, if they get high-speed data out there, that means there's probably going to be some high-speed data available to residents maybe in some of those areas too. So it helps everybody. Going from something that was kind of fun to something that was more mundane on Monday afternoon, I, we had our first um, public safety coordinating council budget meeting to start looking at next biennium's budget, which is always a fun exercise. And school districts do the same thing where we have to start kind of guessing at what the legislature is going to actually approve uh, sometime probably in late June before they finally adjourn. Um, for the biennium's budget. And we have to make some assumptions and kind of do a low, medium, and high budget scenarios so we can have, we can kind of be ready with, you know, you know we might um, 
recommending the county adopt the medium budget and but we'll have the other scenarios in our pocket in case we're wrong in guessing what the legislature does um, but it's kind of a little bit depressing right now because um, it's looking like the legislature is going to short a lot of um, programs on the altar of uh, trying to uh, invest in K through 12 and to not cut the Oregon health plan. And it basically the directions from between the governor's recommended budget and the, the co-chairs of the ways and means um, proposed budget basically has everybody taking a 5% haircut um, from the previous biennium while holding K through 12 and the Oregon health plan harmless. And in fact, they're talking about increasing K through 12 by a couple billion with new revenue. But um, without new revenue, that would be the case um, is what they were looking at in the budget. What that translates to though is um, there are a couple pieces of funding that are really important to the local public safety system. One's called the Community Corrections Act funding, and that's what pays for um, our parole and probation services in Lane County and, um, and other um, programs that deal with people that have, you know, served their time or are being diverted from serving time here in Lane County and are under supervision, uh, treatment programs, et cetera. But it also uh, pays for uh, a lot of jail beds that are there for sanctioning people. You know, if you violate your parole um, conditions, they may have you spend a weekend in jail as a sanction. Um, or, you know, so that that's part of one of the things that that Community Corrections Act pays for. And it looks like there, there's a possibility we'll have less money this biennium where we actually have all those programs happen. So if they're going to give us 5% less, we're going to have to make some pretty severe cuts in those services. On top of that, there's a program called the Justice Reinvestment Act funding. And it's a, a, a grant program that's funded by formula out to the counties uh, on the same formula that the Community Corrections Act funding goes out. And it's based on how many, how much, what percent of the people under supervision does your county have? Uh, and they kind of look back four years to determine that percentage for the upcoming two years. And uh, Lane County generally has about 10% of, of that population. Um, the justice reinvestment funding is specifically targeted towards programs that are meant to prevent prison usage and utilization. In other words, they're the, the programs that Lane County has put together that kind of divert people from being sentenced to prison or help people get out of prison early or help people not um, recidivate, commit another crime and end up back in prison. And we, we're using these funds really innovatively here in Lane County. Sponsors Inc., which does a lot of um, 
transitional housing for people coming out of prison has been really key to changing our recidivism rate. We've actually reduced our, our recidivism in Lane County with folks coming out of prison because of some of those programs. Um, you know, our treatment court and our um, veterans court and, 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 and mental health court, those are programs that, that benefit from those funds. All of it's meant to, you know, keep the state from having to build another prison. <laughs> Yet, um, a lot of those programs uh, are were ramping up in this last biennium and are actually going to could be going full bore if the state funded that 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 justice reinvestment uh, program adequately. Yet they're talking about giving that a haircut by five percent. So there's. You know, that's another place. So and then it kind of gets to will the state be kind of cutting off their nose to spite their face because that that the dollar amounts we're talking about statewide, that 5% cut is less than um, I'm trying to think probably $20 million total. Yet building another prison is a $600 million dollar hit. So kind of makes you wonder who's doing the math down there at the legislature. But starting that process uh, Monday of looking at um, our community corrections and justice reinvestment uh, budgeting for the next year and what programs we can fund um, kind of was a downer after being, you know, that wonderful tour and and you know, a great employer and a great economic driver here in Lane County that Roseboro is to jump into that, you know, looking at the next two years of some really critical programs that help keep folks safe here in Lane County. I mean, our parole and probation uh, department, you know, one of the things that's important to them is um, risk management of these folks they have under supervision and make, you know, preventing them from causing harm in our in our society you know it's not just about you know preventing those folks from uh, um, recidivating but you know also just making sure they don't harm people so it is a public safety issue so that's even before we get into what we are doing as uh, um, the board as a whole you know that's one of those side pieces of being a commissioner is I I serve on the public safety coordinating council um, for our, our board and there are many roles that the board has and the public safety coordinating council is something that was set up by the legislature that makes recommendations to the county that actually allocates those funds um, and, and sets up their budget so whatever budget the public safety coordinating council comes up with they'll um, they just provide recommendation to the board of commissioners the board of commissioners actually adopts that so that kind of brings me to the regular board meeting and, and some of the things we got to talk to there about there and I kind of teased this a little bit on Facebook, but um, we had a presentation as we we um, we don't just meet as a board of commissioners. We meet sometimes as the board of health because we are the board of health for Lane County. And with that, we have to pay attention to public health issues and in a, in a ever-increasing issue. It's been around for a long time because 
you know, marijuana and cannabis have been popular for a long time, but youth usage of, of cannabis is increasing. And in particular, Lane County ranks higher than the state, so in percentage, of course, Oregon ranks higher than nationally. Um, but it's some of the, the attitudes was interesting in some of the survey work that, that the, um, the risk and the downside to using marijuana has really um, been lost on youth nowadays. Because it's been legalized, there's, there's some kind of presumption that it's harmless. When really, it is one of the most dangerous things that youth can partake in because their brains are still developing. And there's very clear science. And that's one of the things that, that, that our um, human services folks uh, reviewed for us is that using uh, marijuana has an impact on the development of your brain. And your brain doesn't stop developing until you're about 25 years old. So these middle schoolers and, and high school kids that are um, smoking pot are actually changing their brain development. And some of the things that, it, that have clearly been shown is if you have any sort of predisposition uh, genetically towards mental health issues, youth usage of cannabis will exacerbate that and make it much more likely you're going to have long-term mental health issues as an adult. So youth using marijuana is actually driving the cost of things that we're having to do as a society to deal with all of the adults that have mental health issues. So preventing youth from using marijuana would be really important to a long-term cost savings for society. Not to mention, you know, we really don't want people, you know, having damaged brains, basically. Um, so it's a really important issue to prevent youth from using um, marijuana. But, you know, how do you do that? And, and what's some of the right ways to do that? Which kind of gets down to that discussion we've had a couple weeks ago when the legislature was proposing dropping the voting age down to 16 is, you know, What's the best way to keep it out of use hands? You know, is 21 the right age? Should it be 25 when your brain finishes developing? Because, you know, usage of, you know, I, I am a, a strong supporter of legalization because for adults, because I, once you are capable of making an informed consensual decision, to utilize whatever substance you feel like using, I'm not going to stand in your way. The issue is informed consent. And one of the, the last things that develops in your brain is your, your ability for rational thought and to connect the decisions you make with long-term consequences. That's the last portion of your brain that develops. I mean, it's slowly getting there as you get into your, into your 20s. But when you're a teenager, you don't have that capacity, really. That part of your brain hasn't developed yet. 
So you basically don't have the ability to understand, you know, what your co- those consequences are, and you have very little impulse control. So, you know, how how do we alter you? Know, the, you know, inform youth of the dangers of this. You know, it leads to other behavioral changes. Um, you know, lack of motivation um, and a few other things that goes on that have been well studied, at least in um, teenage males and what happens to them long term in adulthood if they're heavy users of marijuana as a teenager. And Louis uh, in the background there playing his toy. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that, Robin. But uh, yeah, it's coming through loud and clear. <laughs> If you're wondering what that noise was, <laughs> that's one of my poodles playing with a squeaky toy. <laughs> so, uh, as we're talking about marijuana, <laughs> a funny I, noise to have in the background. I thought it was perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but how do you how do you address that issue, and and with what resource? Because one of the interesting things is. Most of the marijuana taxes are not coming to counties that are the public health authorities that are that have the need to control, you know, to try and prevent the youth from using this and to try and do the education side. Most of the money is going to state agencies or it's going to municipalities by retail sales tax. Very few of the retail outlets are actually outside of city limits where the county would benefit from a retail sales tax. So, you know, how do we get resources to do this work? And and what do we actually do? You know, some of the things that are proposed are, you know, maybe there should be some control over the advertising. Maybe there should be control over the packaging and flavors that are used in some of the marijuana products. I mean, some of the edible marijuana project products mimic candy, you know, so closely it's not funny. And some of the names for some of the the uh, lines, you know, because you know every the, these marijuana stores, the the, the buds, you know, they all have uh, various clones with, you know, um, in some some ways almost. Um, trademarked or, or copyrighted genetic background to them where they name them. And the names for some of these things are straight out of, of kid-oriented stuff. Star Wars-related, Pokemon-related, you know, names to these, these, the, these pot strains. And it's like it seems so almost intentionally intended to appeal to Folks that are under 21, even though it's not legal for folks under 21 to purchase it. And, of course, you know, the elephant in the room is we've over-permitted the production side in Oregon where we're producing, you know, a six-year supply of what we're consuming in Oregon every year in Oregon. So we're out-producing the consumption by six times and then wondering why Kids will tell you it's easier to get pot than it is to get alcohol. It's easier to get pot than it is to get tobacco products for them because the black market is ubiquitous, schools and high schools. 
and the the number of kids that report that they've used marijuana in the last 30 days in middle school is over 80%. That's an incredible number. Yeah, it just it boggles the mind. Yeah, so it, it's it's a real issue. We've got these kids using a substance that could forever change their brain patterns, and not in good ways. And we wonder kind of sometimes why we're having, you know, sixty-five percent of our jail population has mental health issues. A majority of our homeless population has mental health issues. You know, you know, you want to talk about what's, you know, driving some of the cost of our public safety system and our jails and our prison system, what might be driving some of the cost of dealing with homelessness in our society. Uh, maybe it's been, you know, the last 30, 40, 50 years of youth using marijuana might have something to do with that. How, how do you deal with that? You know, how, you know, I'm I'm curious. You know, give me a call here on the Bo's Nose Show six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one, and that lets me know you want to get in on the conversation again. That's six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation. So we talked about marijuana and youth, and and some prevention strategies. Uh, we basically um, charged our, our folks to come back to us with some recommendations for actual actions the board could take. Um, but I'm kind of wondering some of this might have to happen at the legislative level. And this kind of gets into some of the full moon stuff. It actually seems like legislatively we're going the wrong direction some places. There's actually legislation proposed to, to allow uh, for um, cannabis lounges and and social consumption of cannabis in public. You know, it's like, oh, great. Let's make it even easier for our youth to, to be exposed to and utilize um, cannabis. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so it'd be interesting. You know, one of the things that, you know, for me, where I might be going if, and, and unfortunately, this isn't a power that the county commissioners have. This is what I'd have to lobby the legislature chain is the laws for selling to a minor. You know, these folks that are actually, um, you know, providing minors with marijuana. When they catch somebody definitively doing that, knowingly providing a, mar- uh, a minor with marijuana, there should be draconian punishment for that. And that might start getting to the problem. You know, people had to worry about serving 10 years in prison for providing a minor with marijuana. Yeah, they might think twice about it. You know, um, so that that's just where I go somewhat. You know, I'm all, I'm fine with the adults that want to use it recreationally. That's a personal decision with informed consent. Your brain's, you know, more or less fully developed. You want to, you know, partake, go ahead. I think we need to really try and find a way of preventing our youth from utilizing marijuana. So 
on top of all that, we got into some discussions later on about um, ballot measure 102 that passed um, last fall in, in November. And if folks don't remember that one, that was the ballot measure that would allow for uh, public bonds to be utilized to build affordable housing that would not end up publicly owned. That would be that could be owned by other uh, entities other than 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 uh, a governmental agency, which you know I was generally not in favor of because it you know it seemed like um, a little bit of crossover. But I think I kind of understand why now it was it was done as I got tax credit financing explained to me um, by the executive director of our Homes for Good, which are, is our local HUD housing. The way tax credit financing works is you form they they form an LLC that owns the um, affordable housing um, development, and for the first 15 years of that, some kind of financial institution like uh, Wells Fargo Bank owns 99% of the interest in that in that limited liability corporation. And as one of the reasons they do that is over that 15 years, they do the depreciation and everything else to get the tax credit advantage of owning that of doing that tax credit investment, the 1% is held by the the housing authority, but the control of the LLC is 100% housing authorities. It's a very odd arrangement. And at the end of the 15 years, the financial institutions um, portion of that LLC reverts to the, the the housing authority. And the how, and sometimes it's not a housing authority. Sometimes it's a nonprofit like St. Vincent de Paul, or some other uh, some of these nonprofits. So those aren't even the nonprofits aren't necessarily public governmental agencies. And what this allows for is these this public bonding authority to provide gap financing between that tax credit financing and the full cost of developing these affordable housing units um, to, to fill that gap. But that gets to another problem. Once again, how does a public agency fund those bonds? We generally do it through property tax levies. Who pays property tax levies? Housing. You know, so of course, businesses do too, like good old Roseboro, and there's 700,000 a year. But we homeowners pay that. So we're going to do bonding to support affordable housing and subsidize that. We have to actually increase the cost of housing for everyone across the county in order to do that. And it gets to my issue that I talked about. Um, previously on the Bo's Nose Show, something I refer to as circular taxation, where you tax something to subsidize it for people that can't afford it. So you may, that whatever it is that you, you know, was unaffordable for those people, 
more unaffordable by taxing it and increasing the cost of it. So actually then more people slip off the table and can't afford it. So you have to subsidize it for even more people, which means you might have to raise the rate of that taxation, increasing the cost, making more people not be able to afford it. And you start getting into this cycle of increasing the tax on whatever you're subsidizing, which keeps making more people need subsidy and you have to keep increasing it. And eventually you get to where you're, you know, you, you get past 50% of the people needing that subsidy. And we, 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 we've done it in, in some places with healthcare where we, we, you know, recently had this health insurance premium tax in Oregon that we passed. Um, you know, we, we're looking at it with construction excise taxes to support affordable housing. And now we're talking about doing it with bonding authority. So this is a tool for affordable housing that I think needs to be very carefully utilized, that we don't end up making more people need affordable housing built by the government <laughs> because we're increasing the cost of housing in general. What's most important for me really is we just should be doing everything we can to get out of the way and let there be more housing in general. There needs to be more housing supply. We have to look at how we can cut regulations and open up more land to housing and more types of housing, whether it's tiny homes, uh, accessory dwelling units, um, row homes that, that don't seem to be um, easily cited in this area, that missing middle they talk, talk about, whatever it takes, we should be trying to increase the supply of housing, single family homes, because what's happening is some of those have gotten so expensive that people are staying in, in more affordable housing that, could, that should be moving up, but they're not. And that keeps the affordable housing unavailable to the folks that can't afford a single family home. So it's just, it's, we need just more housing, period. And everything we should do about that, which gets to something else that happened at the board meeting. We had a little bit of public um, testimony about rent control and a desire for the county to pursue going above and beyond what the legislature did um, in their statewide rent control, not really understanding that um, the person that came in was concerned because the development they live, live in raised their rent preemptively right before the rent control bill passed. And they raised it by about 10%. Well, that's what, about what's allowable under the rent control bill. And I imagine what that rent control bill is going to do is set up you know, annual increases in everybody's rent. That's whatever the maximum is to protect, you know, the, the landlords from uh, the p potential that their costs are going to increase faster than the maximum allowable for that year. And they have to preemptively keep increasing their, their rents. Um, you know, we've talked about rent control before on the Bo's Nose show the most effective means of destroying the city is to, to put rent control in place other than bombing it. <laughs> and I don't know what part of that lesson the legislature has not learned, 
and I hope um, that our board won't go in that direction, but uh, really we need to stay away from rent control. It's just something that's a, a bad, one of the worst solutions to the problem of housing affordability. Because really the, the root cause of housing affordability or non-affordability is the lack of supply. We have to attack the supply side of this and work on that. Which gets me to a whole other conversation on Bo's Nose Show. But before I jump into that wildfire and floods conversation, if you have any comments about affordable housing, marijuana, and youth, anything else we've talked about here on the Bo's Nose Show, give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And if there's something else you want to talk about, give us a call because this is your show to talk about what you want to talk about ask me questions you want to ask about what's going on in the county um, or in government in general because I pay attention. 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation. So in our afternoon session on Tuesday, I haven't even gotten to Wednesday yet, so you can imagine why I'm a little bit tired maybe. We had a work session on um, citing standards for houses in forest areas to protect them against wildfire. And in addition to citing standards and relative to uh, flood protection. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, in the morning there was all this discussion by the board about affordable housing. In the afternoon, the same commissioners that are, super committed to trying to provide some kind of affordable housing and want to pass taxing measures to support affordable housing built by the government, want to increase the restrictions on residential development um, because they don't feel people are smart enough to understand the risk that they might be taking by owning a home in the forest. You know, and you know, or owning a home near a river. It's sort of the um, the disconnect sometimes that happens, and, and the lack of of not letting people be responsible. You know, one of the issues about um, how much gets damaged in some of these disasters are is we've taken away a lot of the risk from the from the private person and put it onto the government through subsidized flood insurance, um, through some of these disaster uh, declarations that, uh, that provide government subsidies for reconstruction, um, that disincentivizes people from doing their own risk management and understanding what risk, when they invest in a house, that you know, looking into the long-term risk of exactly what that house is they're buying. Because, you know, oh, the government will will help me rebuild if I get flooded out. Oh, if my house burns down in a forest fire, the government will help me rebuild it. Um, You know, if there's a little bit less of that, maybe people might do things like maintain their um, clear setbacks for their fire protection around their homes better. They might actually make sure their driveways are accessible by fire trucks. Uh, They might actually think about 
you know, how much they're willing to build capital-wise if it's in a floodway, uh, and, and if they had to pay a heavier insurance cost with non-subsidized flood insurance through a private insurer, you know, maybe there might be less um, dollar value built in floodways. You know, that that's, you know, but still using the heavy hand of regulation to try and prevent that construction, that's the wrong place to, to be turning the knob. Because all that, that regulation does is add cost to housing. And really, you know, we should let people, uh, you know, they should understand the risk they're taking, just like the folks that choose to use marijuana as an adult. It's an adult purchasing a house. I don't know very many banks that will will issue a mortgage to somebody that's not an adult. <laughs> Adults should understand their risk. Government shouldn't be, you know, playing the nanny. <laughs> if we're not going to play the nanny on pot, we shouldn't be playing the nanny on where people want to live. And when we do play the nanny on where people want to live, what we're doing is driving up the cost of housing, which gets to that whole affordable housing issue. So it's kind of interesting to watch that that cognitive dissonance that has to be there for the same people that in the morning were willing to tax you to build affordable housing because there's a crisis in, in housing in this county and across the country to wanting to add wildfire overlay zones that would, would, would provide another whole layer of regulation and cost to building a home in the county. <laughs> it, 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 it amazes me sometimes. So just one of those things that you, know, you shake your head and then I realize it's a full moon. So we're getting ready to, to, to get into spring break here on the Bose Nose Show. I will be here during spring break. So we will be coming back to you live next week at 4 o'clock, our regular time. And, you know, maybe we'll have some spring break topics then you know, as we roll into spring in our full moon today. Um, speaking of rolling, I want to mention one thing real quick. I don't know if people saw the article about the county uh, is going to put in a temporary parking lot downtown on our newly purchased um, piece of ground there next to the existing uh, county building that is there for our future courthouse. We closed on that property on January 31st this year. We will have a parking lot hopefully opened up in May. So that property is sat idle and fenced off for years. County took ownership of that property at the last day of January and in May it's going to be put to productive use. Sort of the kind of, you know, Lane County, you know, one thing that I'm proud of about Lane County is we get things done. And that investment we're making in that temporary parking there, we're going to be able to recoup uh, if not all of it, a majority of it, with our monthly parking fees and the uh, the daily parking fees, because part of the 
parking there is going to be uh, sold to various um, uh, folks downtown that work downtown on a monthly basis, and some of it will be kept open for people to use on an hourly rate um, and daily rate that are doing business downtown um, as there is such a shortage of parking in downtown in some ways, and we lost a very large parking lot in the uh, uh, market district expansion that the OBs are doing down there at Six and Oak. Um, so this is going to kind of make up for that. And it's kind of a lead in to our courthouse project, which is going to include parking uh, also and the ability in the future to actually expand the parking by putting in an elevated structure behind the new courthouse building where we're going to put in surface parking to start with. So um, just one of those examples of Lane County getting something done. Once we actually own a piece of property, we try and make use of it. So um, as we're rolling into spring break here in a full moon, I thought I'd just, you know, Robin, you, you kind of said things happen in threes, and, and you guys have sort of had that. Um, you, what, you want to talk about some of your full moon experience and some of the other crazy things going on in the world? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's just interesting how historically how a full moon can actually affect things. I don't know if it's the increase in gravity, superstition, or or what it is that causes it. But it there seems to actually be a trend. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And just weird stuff that happens on full moons. In fact, you know, I don't know. Most people have cell phones, and and whether they have it turned on or not, but there's a amber alert today and uh you know it was really um you know one of those things where it just jars you when those things come across because everybody's cell phone goes off at the same time in, in the in the room you know <laughs> you know oh my goodness so they're looking for a silver nissan Sentra. Uh, <laughs> somewhere over in Hermiston, but we get the Amber Alert here in Lane County, um, you know, a couple hundred miles away. Uh, it was kind of interesting. What it bothers me about those Amber Alerts, though, you know, and, and I don't know why I just happened to get one on a full moon, you never get anything later that says whether they found the car or not, you know, and resolved whatever the Amber Alert was. Always bugs me. You know, I get those, and I always wonder for like three days, well, did they catch the guy? Why did the Amber Alert go out in the first place? You know, you just never quite hear the whole story. So, yeah. Ah, yes, full moon. <laughs> so we got a couple minutes left in the Bose Nose Show. So if you want to get in and, you know, ask a question, have a comment, tell your full moon story, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so we know uh, that you want to get in on the conversation, not just calling to listen, because there are some people that do that. So, you know, a couple topics I didn't quite cover today. Uh, you know, we talked about our strategic plan today in our board meeting, um, and, of course, the one thing that was the biggest thing we talked about was affordable housing. So. Seems to keep coming up and coming up. 
another thing we talked about today is coordinated care organizations, and we just don't have the time left in the Bose Nose Show to really get into that today. But the state, you know, has us going through a procurement process in as what they call CCO 2.0, Coordinated Care Organization 2.0. This is how Oregon is dealing uh, with Medicaid in this state. And the waiver we got from the Obama administration six years ago, and this is the re-up of that um, as they look at that. And there's the possibility, you know, right now, uh, Trillium is our coordinated care organization in Lane County. But there's four organizations that are interested in being the coordinated care organization. And the state has actually set it up to where they can actually award to more than one. And the impact of Lane County is could be significant, but it's a longer conversation. They deal with a huge amount of money annually for serving 90,000 people with their health care, physical health, mental health, dental, um, all that stuff, emergency room reimbursements to preventive uh, work that, you know, the idea of the community, the coordinated care organizations was to actually try and bring down the cost of health care by providing preventative and maintenance type health care more than focusing on um, treatment after a problem. So um, it's an interesting aspect of one of the functions of of Lane County because we are the Board of Health and the Public Health Agency um, and the Mental Health Agency for the area. Um, we're extremely tied into this, yet we aren't the decision maker. The decision maker is the Oregon Health Authority. So we're going to have to live with some of their decision making. And it's their criteria and what they're doing. It, there's not enough time left in the Bose Nose Show today to get into all of those aspects, but it is something maybe we'll talk about next week on the Bose Nose Show during spring break. Because, you know, while your kids are all off doing wild things, um, you got to think about health a little bit next week um, during spring break. So maybe health might be a topic next week. So thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. I hope maybe I informed you a little bit during today's program, stimulated a little bit of thought. Hope back next week. And uh, remember, every Wednesday, 4 o'clock, we're here on the Bose No Show, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Enjoy the full moon. Enjoy spring break. Have a great week. <laughs>